Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different, different. This is NOCO FM. Please don't go. I need you so I... Hi, everyone, and welcome to Feminist Hot Dog, the news, humor, and cultural survival podcast by, for, and about women and people of all genders who experience sexism. One of the things that I like best about being a podcaster is getting to know other podcasters. And I've talked on the show before about the incredibly supportive online communities that I've been lucky enough to be a part of, both Lady Pod Squad and the She Podcast community which are both professional development um, groups for podcasters who identify as women. Um, And not only have I learned a lot about podcasting from being in those groups, but I've learned a lot about what drew other women to podcasting and what they get out of it, which has helped me um, improve my own skills and get more creative with my own show and helps me get more out of podcasting. So today's guest is someone whose podcast I instantly got curious about when I joined the Lady Pod Squad. Her name is Allison Carter, and she is the host of Not Your Little Lady, which is a podcast featuring women living outside the South's socially acceptable norms. Um, And as I've talked about quite a bit, I live in Montgomery, Alabama, Allison is based in Atlanta, Georgia, but has also um, lived in Alabama. And so we had to meet, and I'm so thrilled that we finally got a chance to get together and record in person after communicating for so long. So Allison, welcome to Feminist Hot Dog. Thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah. So right off the bat, um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about you? You are originally from the South, is that right? Correct. Yeah. I was born and raised in like Chattanooga, Tennessee, Ringgold, Georgia, and spent all my life there. I think like I've only in my whole life, I've only lived outside of the South for four months. Oh, wow. And, um, but I've lived in Tennessee. So I went to college at UGA and then I moved to Chattanooga again to do an internship and then moved to North Carolina and was there for seven months and then moved to Alabama for five and a half years. And I've spent a lot of time in other states in the South as well. Like most of my coverage area in when I worked for newspapers in Alabama and my coverage area include Mississippi and Tennessee. And then like, so basically like Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, North Carolina, and Mississippi. Like I've spent a decent amount of time in all of those places. Wow. You've really got the South covered. Yep. <laughs> I love it. I wouldn't, I would change things about it, but I wouldn't change living here. Well, I, I have some questions for you about that, actually. That's, um, I'm glad you brought that up because I <laughs> am a transplant to the South and I feel the same way. I love it, but I also... Um, would like to see some changes and would like to see some changes in the way that the rest of the country perceives and talks about the South too. So yeah, we'll get into that. So, um, you identify as a feminist, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And what have been, um, how did you come to identify as a feminist? What have been some of your feminist milestones in your life? Oh, that's something I don't think I've really ever thought too much about before. But I do think a lot of it had to do with, um, like, my dad was very much in my life. My parents got divorced when I was three. My dad was in my life often. But, like, I was still, he traveled a lot. So I was still generally, like, raised by my mom, a single woman in the South. So, like, I saw her, like, go through everything she went through. And, like, you know, 
I had a, I think I had a really good role model for being single and independent and like knowing that I want to take care of myself because my mom could take care of herself. Mm. So knowing that, I think that pushed me a little bit towards being a feminist. And then also too, um, working in photojournalism is a very male dominated field. So I feel like if I don't have like my own bearings about who I am and what I like stand for and like wanting to also lift up other women and support other women, then yeah, like I think that also impacted it, like working with mostly men Mm -hmm. and trying to find my own identity in a field that is masculine for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And then I'm trying to think of what else I just, I've just been like too. I think a lot of it comes from not that I'm like, complaining about being single but a lot of it comes from spending most of my life like not dating people like I've really depended on myself and I do think it's important to be able to depend on yourself but also to have people around you who will support you so I've talked a lot about like me but also too like I I just find that women that I've ran into are really interesting and our space our space in the south is complicated and I think that being able to come together and support each other in that complicated space is really important. Well, that actually leads perfectly into my next question for you, which is let's talk about your podcast. Um, Can you tell us the origin story of Not Your Little Lady? Yeah. So um, it actually started, and we talked about this a little earlier, (laughs) but the, uh, so it started like right after the 2016 election, Donald Trump, whatever, everybody knows that story. But uh, I wanted to do this project for my newspaper on women who were going to the Women's March. Mm -hmm. I had this idea in my head to do a portrait of the woman and then have the shoes that they were going to be taking with them on the floor. And then the reason why they were going written behind it on a poster board. And I presented that to my newspaper and they're like, "Mm, we're not really into that. So I was like, "Ah, of course, you're not into that. It's like creative and like weird and like you're not cool and feminist. (laughs) Yeah. So of course, you're not going to be into it. And like they did end up doing an article on people going, but they just didn't want that art with it. And I don't I still don't understand why. But anyways, um, I was doing that and I met Sarah Gillis through it. I kind of just put out a thing to everybody. It was like, hey, like people who live in uh, Florence, Alabama, if you're interested in participating in this and you're going to the Women's March, please meet up with me at this place and I'll take your picture, do your portrait, and you'll like write down the reason why you're going. And Sarah Gillis came to that. And I kind of we started talking about how hard it is to be a woman in the South, especially when you don't necessarily hold conservative views. And um from that point we just started talking about like how much we love podcasts. And then she was like, well let's start a podcast. And I was like, oh, I got like really nervous Can on the we inside. Do that? Yeah. <laughs> I just got like super nervous on the inside and was just like, oh, I don't know. Cause like I know th- things about myself, which is like I'm and I think I'm an idea person. I'm not super great on following through unless I have someone pushing me. Mm-hmm. Sarah was what pushed me. Nice. And so without her, the podcast wouldn't exist. So we started talking about it. We met and like sat down, talked about like ideas, like what we wanted to call it, things like that. And um, I was thinking back to this is like the origin of the name of it. That was like the origin of like the idea that started it. Started it. The name comes from when I was working as a photojournalist in Alabama. This mayor of Littleville, he like sauntered in and had his cowboy hat on and like jeans and this like flannel shirt and sauntered in. And he was like well, how are you today, little lady? And I was like, oh, my God, Whoa. nobody's ever called me little lady. Like, And it was like, 
It wasn't. I wasn't offended by it because I knew that it wasn't. It wasn't malicious. And he's. Almost, it sounded like he's almost like a caricature. Yes. <laughs> and I feel like maybe I might have made him more into that as the story goes. But I really do believe, like, everything I said, he, like, saw it. Like, I do think he had his hands, like, on his, like, <laughs> the buckles of his belt and was just, like, sauntering. <laughs> but that's where the name com- came from. At first we were like, oh, little lady. And then we were like, oh, no, 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 not your little lady. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of people um, kind of think that even they get confused by the name sometimes. But I think it's more about, like, taking like I don't mind being called little lady by that man because it was fine because he wasn't being malicious about it I've had this guy I went to high school with um tell me like sweetheart in like a comment section that I had a problem with Mm -hmm. because it wasn't in a it wasn't in a good way it was in a bad way and so what I wanted to do with the podcast and what Sarah wanted to do with the podcast was kind of like take back the term lady and like let ourselves define what a woman is like whether that be like you know a white woman, a woman of color, a trans woman, like all of that, like just like, or even like non-binary, you know, like just being able to take the word back and define like who we are for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. And what are some of the favorite episodes that you've done? Oh, man. So right now I'm like really on this uh, democratic socialism one that I did and it just came, I guess I don't know when it's come out, but I have a democratic socialism one and I feel like that one's really important because I don't think a lot of people understand what democratic socialism is. Mm-hmm. And I know I didn't before the episode and still, I'm still trying to like think about it and grapple with it now. But that one's really good, especially with the 2020 election coming up. I think that people need to be informed about who they're voting for and like what they stand for more than just like a person. Mm-hmm. Oh, I really liked the one with uh, music is the perfect place. It's with uh, Faye Andrews. She's a DJ and a trans woman, and we talk about how she uses her platform as a DJ to kind of uh, promote and also support other trans women and other people in the trans community. So I really like that one. She's really a sweet person and informative, and we're friends now, so that's nice. really cool too. <laughs> and um, I also really liked this one's a more um, recent one. I liked Opera in Modern Times because. I listened to that one. I love that one. Yeah, Gabriella is or Gabrielle is really cool, and I met her through my old job at the newspaper. And I like don't think I ever had a full conversation with her until I had her on the podcast. But we just talk about like the history of opera and like how people of color in the history of opera, like how how it's been for them in the past and how it is now, and also to how to make such an old art form modern mm-hmm. and. I like that. There was some really cool stuff on, like, the commentaries on how, like, Madame Butterflies can kind of parallel with, like, the Me Too movement. And so that was a super cool episode that I enjoyed. Great. Thank you. And what do you like best about podcasting? I like – what I like best about it is that I get to satisfy my own curiosity about things while also helping educate others. Because I'm – like, all my episodes are just stuff that I'm generally curious about. And once I – like find a person here. Like it, it takes a little work to find people sometimes, but once I find somebody to have them on, I get so excited about having them on and just like learning and like gleaning information from them and things that they know from their life experience that I don't know from mine. And so 
yeah, maybe it's a little selfish. <laughs> I feel the same way. I feel like I get so much out of it and I learn so much from my guests and they're so generous and with their yeah. time. And I'm just so I feel so grateful that I get the opportunity to talk to all those people. So, yeah, I feel. The yeah. Same. Um, so what's what's next for you in term topically? What are what are some of the issues that you've got coming up? So I'm really excited um, about an episode that I'm recording. I'm going to try to do like a two, not a two part, but like two episodes that kind of play off each other. Mm -hmm. There's a, let me check her name so I don't get it wrong. There's a a film called The Home Team, and it's based on the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta and how there's been a bunch of like kickbacks for like the Falcons. Like it was, it was funded a lot by public taxes Mm. and there's been a ton, like the Falcons pay no taxes on anything that they make, like any money they make, they don't pay taxes on it. But this movie is a documentary about um, how that has impacted the community on the West side of Atlanta. So I'm going to interview the, uh, the director of the film. Yeah. Her name's Camille. I don't see her last name on here, but her name's Camille and she's the director of the film. And I'm really looking forward to interviewing her about that because I'm, I'm new to Atlanta and I'm curious about the things that impact its people. And I know that Atlanta's going through like a lot of change and like it's kind of a weird time for people who have been here for years and years and mm-hmm. years. They're getting kicked out of their houses. Like the city's becoming pretty unaffordable, which I think is the story of a lot of cities around the US. But I'm excited to talk to her about the home team film because I want to learn more about it. But then after that, this lady named Allison, who works for the Housing Justice League in Atlanta, I want to have those episodes kind of piggyback off each other so that you can have you can see how um, like housing stuff has impacted people with the home team film. And then also talk to Allison to talk about the Housing Justice League and what it does. So I want those two to like go back and forth. And I also have one too that's coming out. Um, oh, this one's good too. And these are all Atlanta based. I love I like the rest of the South too, but these are the ones that I'm most excited about. Um, Dr. Joycelyn Wilson, she's a professor at Georgia Tech, assistant professor at Georgia Tech. And um, I met her through one of my assignments there. But she teaches a class on race, science, and technology. And she did her dissert- dissertation on the history of like rap in the south like basically mm. it's like rap in the south and like how those two things like have impacted each other so i'm really excited to have her on to talk about that that sounds great yeah. well i'm excited to listen and where can listeners find you i'm on itunes and also or apple podcasts stitcher i have a website it's not your and you can find my episodes on there also on spotify and i'm pretty sure i'm just on like all the podcast apps like those are the ones that i know about yeah <laughs> and social media too oh yeah and on twitter i'm at ladies of nyll and on instagram and facebook not your little lady Follow along, folks. It's a great podcast. Well, thank you, Allison. Is there anything else um, about you or the pod that you want to share with us? Oh, just give the South a chance. Whoever's listening to this, give us a chance. We're like, I know that we're flawed. I know that. But I think that if you came and visited, that you would find that there are some very beautiful people here that you should meet. Amen. I will second that. Okay, well, we're going to talk about what made our feminist hearts sing lately. Um, So I know you have a few things. You want to just kind of go back and forth? Yeah, that's cool. All right. Well, I'm um, I have a couple just short ones. So my first one is that um, 
I think we're going to put this episode up on Wednesday, so this will still be in recent memory. So the U.S. women's soccer team won the World Cup. Woohoo! Yes. Um, <laughs> which is great in and of itself. And of course, I'm super happy for them. But what really made my feminist heart sing was the crowd just erupting into that chant for equal pay. That was so inspiring. And I just, um, I really loved it that in the middle of, like, they're obviously diehard super sports fans. Otherwise, they would not be there. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that they could, um, in that moment of sort of sports glory and, you know, ecstasy of of the final... um, final match having just happened um i guess it wasn't sports glory for the netherlands um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. fans but it's still it's like a very exciting moment um that in that moment they chose collectively to um involve themselves in this equal pay issue which is just um to me it's such a stark stark example of patriarchy i mean it is like could be not be more textbook in terms of like the system valuing men over women literally like Mm -hmm. you know even when the women are you know clearly more successful so um it's yeah a perfect example of institutional sexism is 2019 and yet that it still seems to be something that we're um a drum that we need to beat and so um i'm curious to see if the pressure will remain on now that the world cup is over but in that Mm -hmm moment it was just great to see that you know the victory um the opportunity to to use that victory to further this message was was truly taken and i and that was really exciting and and fantastic to see that was one of mine too oh i'm sorry (laughs) i should have checked them with you but yeah say add more because i also like i'm gonna continue off of that and just say that like megan rapinoe is like I love her. Like, she's, like, number one, super babe, has cool hair. Like, whatever. She's rad. (laughs) Yeah. And then also, too, like, she started, like, she was one of the first athletes, too. And people probably who keep up with her, keep up with women's soccer know this. But she was one of the first athletes to to kneel with Colin Kaepernick. Mm. And I think that that's, like, super gutsy to do, you know. And the fact that she did it so early on, like, that, you know, just re-seeing her out in the news and remembering that made my feminist heart sing yeah and the equal pay thing and then just like her like video where she was like i'm not going to the white house yeah (laughs) fuck that i loved that too it was great made me super super happy (laughs) Mm -hmm. well do you want to um add another yeah uh, another one of yours so i got to see little sims in concert live a couple weeks ago and i love her so much like she has a song, like, one of her main songs is on in- the Insecure soundtrack, oh, the okay. HBO show. And it's really funny because, like, the first lyric is, stop fucking with my heart. And so that's fun. But, like, some of her other songs are just, like, super celebrating being a woman and being a, a, a woman in hip-hop. But she also doesn't want to be, like, one of her tweets says, stop all this female rapper, female MC talk. When it comes to me, I'm not that... FFS, which I don't know what that means. Um, but I just like really appreciate that she wants to be known for more than just like a female rapper. But then she has like super cool lyrics. Like they would never want to admit I'm the best here for the mere fact I've got ovaries. It's a woman's world, so to speak. Pussy, you sour, never given credit where it's due because you don't like pussy and the world, like in the front 
what does that say? Oh, Empower. Yeah. So, like, I really like those lyrics in her album, um, Gray Areas. I've been listening to it, like, on repeat for the past, like, three or four months. And I just like her. Because like, I feel like in hip-hop, a lot of women are presented as... Um, they're not, like you can't be masculine, mm. and if you are, like I just really like how she presents herself. Like she's not, she's not feminine. She's slightly more masculine, but at the same time, it's just like she is who she is. It doesn't matter if she's feminine or masculine. She owns it. Yeah, she's just a good, like, good rapper. Yeah, so, oh. sense. <laughs> I am gonna have to check. Um, I'm gonna have to check her out. I'm yeah, very excited. Well, another. I my next one is also performance related. So Pussy Riot came to Alabama and did a concert benefiting the Yellowhammer Fund yeah. last week, um, which was not something I ever thought I was going to see right. in my life. Um, it was incredibly empowering. It was super fun. And it was it was a little intense. There were protesters outside. There was a ton of security. It was not... Um, like, when I got there, I was like, oh, yeah, I yeah. forgot kind of that the, their whole reason for being there was because of, um, I, mean, I mean, it didn't forget that it was because of the abortion ban, but it it, it was like, oh, there's going to be a spotlight on this for that reason that didn't really occur to me ahead of time. So um, it was a, a reminder that pro-life people are bananas, but um, that's okay. This <laughs> <laughs> the show was sold out when the rest of the country is pointing at Alabama and kind of shaking its finger and shaking its head. And maybe they're sending money, but mostly they're just sort of like, oh, my God, can mm. you believe these like cancel travel backwards? Yeah. Backwards <laughs> hicks, um, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know, in this case, this band, this Russian band came to Alabama to show support for the resistance, first of all, mm -hmm. um, and to show solidarity. And, and it was also a fundraiser. So I just really, it just felt, I felt really supported as a progressive living in Alabama. I was like, yeah. thank you for actually coming here and recognizing that there are people here and have been people here who are really working incredibly hard and against what feel like totally insurmountable odds to try to make change here. So um, so that was great. And when I say Pussy Riot, I think it, there was one original member of Pussy Riot. <laughs> <laughs> Is that not Nadia? I think it's yeah, the one who sold yeah. stuff, yeah. Um, which, you know, I think that's been a rotating cast of characters for yeah. years. But um, but they put on a great show. It was a great chance to just kind of escape and, like, not think about – I mean, think about things um, – it was a great example, I think, of what this podcast is about. It's not that we were escaping the issues because the issues were really front and center in the performance, obviously. Like, it was all about, um, you know, abortion rights and immigration and prison reform and, you know, all the things that they um, – and, you know, feminism. Um, but using creativity to empower um, and to and to resist. And so that I really appreciated that. I loved it. Um, oh, I was just going to mention to Rachel Cargill. Like we talked about her, like we recorded an episode of my podcast before this, but um, she just is a really inspiring and knowledgeable person who you can learn from as far as like being a, like not being a white feminist or not, you know, just like being a better person. I feel like so. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I will second that. I love, um, following Rachel Cargill on social media. I think she's, well, I'll repeat what I said on, um, on not your little lady, which is, I think she's so, I mean, she's, she herself is, is incredibly knowledgeable and has a lot of, um, very insightful things to say, but she also uses her platform in a way that 
I think shows what how skillful she is as an educator and how she's able to communicate these ideas, not not in ways that dumb them down or or, or intended to make them more palatable, but in ways that um, that just really get model a lot of the um, types of ways of being that she's advocating in terms of like um, not being complicit and having the bravery to call people out when they are, um, you know, falling into white feminist behaviors. And um, so I, yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of hers and I learn a lot from following her account. Mm-hmm. So yeah, absolutely. Follow Rachel Cargill. If you're not, she's the bomb. Okay, so I I didn't prepare you for this ahead of time, but so I'm okay. gonna spring it on you. <laughs> Sometimes um, I'm good with that stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, so this is the dear feminist hot dog portion of oh, yeah. the program, and what I've been doing is asking my guests questions rather than relying on the listener questions, which are can be a little all over the place sometimes. Although I welcome your questions, listeners, but I have questions too, and so today I'm gonna take the opportunity to ask you a question about being a Southerner. Okay. Um, so I also love living in the South for lots of reasons. I love the weather. I love the food. I love being near the beach. Um, and I love some of the people, a lot of the people, mm-hmm. not all the people. Um, but I also have a conflicted relationship with the South. And, and for me, a large part of it is because of the oversized role of the evangelical church here. Mm-hmm. Um the political corruption, which is just like rampant and so devastating. Um, and also how vig- visible and tangible white supremacy remains here. And I, you know, I would argue it is just as tangible in other parts of the country. Um, and white people in the North sort of mentally like to kind of section it off down in the South, which is completely inaccurate, but, um, but it is, it shows up differently here for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to stay and I want to fight to make things better here. And I find myself defending the South to people from other parts of the country who trash it, especially after the abortion ban. Mm-hmm. Um, but my question is, can you talk about how you reckon with being a progressive in the South and balancing sort of the many, many reasons to be critical with your belief in the people and the culture here? And um, and what do you say when people from other parts of the country trash the South. And I <laughs> I ask this specifically because I have not found a way to respond that doesn't make me sound like I'm in an abusive relationship. Like I'll say uh-huh. things like, oh, it's not that bad. You just don't, you just haven't gotten to know it. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So. I feel like for the South as a Southerner that you have to kind of have an eternal flame of hope. And you can't let that eternal flame of hope be put out by people who are, you know, not living up to what you feel like the South should be or not showing the best side of the South. And you also can't let people who live outside of the South try to tell you that, like, you should put your flame out because this is like a Jesus. Like no, Jesus I line. actually like Don't I feel my flame growing as you're talking. So <laughs> it might be cheesy, but it's working. Yeah. It's just like you have to like have this like internalness about you to like internalness. You have to have this internal like want to make it a better place and believe that you can no matter how many times you live in 
a conservative conservative district and you vote and yet when you're 32 years old, you've only had maybe three people you voted for actually get in office. Like you just have to really just continue to believe that someday, one day things will change. And I think a lot of mine, like a lot of that for me comes from believing in like my mom and my sister and the people that I know from back home and like knowing that our ideals don't necessarily match up. But I feel like if I could just like get them to hear a story about someone from the South or like get them to hear a story about how like what they're thinking isn't necessarily like just to open their minds a little bit. I think that hope that that will eventually one day happen is kind of what keeps me positive about the South and keeps me wanting to like live here and promote it and have people like want to visit because it's just it is a lot of the things that you hear for sure. And like Alabama is something that I struggled with a lot too, mm-hmm. because no matter where I was, whether or not it was in the South or anywhere else, when I tell people that I lived in Alabama or that I was moving to Alabama, they always made these faces and I have to argue with them. I'm like, no, like I swear, like it's not as bad as you think. And like, yeah. What was the last part of that? I'm not answering your question. Oh, what do you say when people trash the South? I, don't know. I just, I mean, again, I just want them to come visit or, like, try to hear a story. Read a book about the South that is something that you may have not heard. Don't read Hillbilly Elegy because that's, like, not true. It's kind of true. From what I haven't read it, but, like, I've heard it's trash. And, like, that's one of the, like, really big beefs I have with places and people that try to present the South in a certain way that I don't really feel like it is. And they're kind of taking more advantage of it, which is sometimes I've, I've met people in my life like that and I get really frustrated by it and I'm not going to make any friends. I don't really like Nashville because of that reason. Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like a lot of people who live there are just like trying to like benefit off the South and like pretend that they're from here and that they like know me and know like my life growing up in places that aren't cities in the South. And I don't like that, but yeah, I just would encourage people to try to like come visit and see, and you may see stuff that you're like, that, proves my prove everybody else's point about their south being racist or the south being terrible but you'll also meet cool people i live in the south i've only lived in the south mm-hmm. i feel like i'm pretty cool <laughs> like, but just like hear stories i think storytelling is one of the most important things and like why podcasts like yours like you tell stories of people and like why podcasts like mine where i tell stories of people who are in this area are very important because you don't if you're not from here you don't know those people and you have to mm-hmm. search to find them like, you can't just you don't just find them like sitting outside waiting on you to come up to talk to him like you have to like go places where you know you're going to meet people who are like you and same for people who are coming to visit go places that you think that you're going to meet people like you and you will and also to like just try to appreciate the um people who are here who aren't like you because they're they're vulnerable people (laughs) too like they're being tricked in my opinion they're being tricked by a lot of politicians into making their lives worse solely based off of like abortion rights or LGBTQ rights. Like they're being tricked and they're not seeing the whole picture and seeing how, because this one, these two religious things that you feel very strongly about, this person says that they feel this way about it and they're going to do this, but what else are they doing for you? Right. And that's like, again, one of my biggest frustrations with being here, but something that I think that people from outside of the South should know that like these people are being tricked and I know they have their own minds, but at the same time, it's like, it's so religion is such a big thing here that if you don't try to think of outside of it, that you're not going to. So I always think about, you know, what's the history of the way that these issues have been 
used by politicians, really, um, in effect, because they know that, you know, you can sort of capture a whole contingency of voters if you can convince them that, like, this is, like, this really, you know, mm-hmm. thing that's fundamental, um, no pun intended, yeah. to <laughs> to their belief system, um, which then has to become their voting belief system, mm-hmm. too. So, yeah. No, I appreciate you bringing that up. Thank but you. But we are all, like, really generally nice down here, I think. And I think that's one of the more important things about us is that we all are nice. And I think you'd have a fun time coming to visit. Also, we have really good fried chicken. Yeah, the food. I mean, I can't I can't overemphasize it. <laughs> oh, I have a question. I have one more thing that I want to say about the, the abusive relationship in the South that yeah. I just thought of as you were talking. So you mentioned that when you tell people that you live in the South, you like try to make it not sound like it's a abusive relationship that you're in. So the way I feel about that is that you can always break up with that abusive partner. And that abusive partner is the idea that the South is a terrible place that is, is only racist and only has these a couple qualities about it. You can always break up with that. I like and it. And move on to a new idea of like what the South is. And people should do that. That's, anyways. <laughs> I, I prefer that. That's, uh, that's a much healthier way of yeah. talking about it. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Are you ready to talk about the Hot Dog Hall of Fame? Yes. Okay. Excellent. (laughs) Well, I'm going to continue on from our conversation about the U.S. women's soccer team. Okay. And also in recognition of the Not Your Little Lady ethos, I'm going to nominate Kelly O'Hara, who is um, a defender on the U.S. women's soccer team. And who is from Fayetteville, Georgia. Yay. Yay. And so... (laughs) Um, she also, I think her, I mean, obviously she played an amazing game and was central to this like awesome victory. This is her second world cup. I think she's only 30. Um, so she's a, you know, literally like world-class best in the world athlete, but she also became, um, famous for another reason this week, which is that she shared a very passionate, iconic kiss with her girlfriend after winning the World Cup final um, in the match against the Netherlands. So um, I don't actually know that much about her (laughs) other than, you know, that she's a superstar athlete and that she was, you know, that this picture of um, of their their like congratulations kiss has become like a really big deal. And, um, but she, you know, she does have a great reputation as an athlete and a teammate. Um, and that image has been broadcast around the world and garnered, garnered so much attention, which I think is really incredible. And it's cause this was also her coming out moment. There were, um, I think this was, I read somewhere like the most out world cup, ever um in terms of like the number of out lesbian and bisexual players like throughout the entire tournament but she had not been out prior to this so this was kind of her coming out moment and knowing how many kids were watching that event and like little girls in particular and got to see this incredibly loving gesture and the celebration between two people you know just really spontaneously um it really means i mean i just think I can't um, over overemphasize. I think how much how meaningful that is, and I. Um, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. That I think maybe to people who are part of who interact and are part of queer communities or who surround themselves with queer, queer culture, but if you are not someone who puts yourself in that path, 
um, even in 2019, you you're, you just don't see people of the same gender kissing on television. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if you, you know, even if you do, um, there was a great article in Glamour by a writer named Jill Gudewitz, who's a lesbian writer, and she um, she said that as far as iconic kisses go, queer women just don't have many main stage historic moments, and that this was definitely that. Like you just when you think of iconic kisses it's almost always heterosexual couples. And so like, this is one that was not that. And it, you know, it wasn't planned. I don't think it was planned anyway, or staged or meant to be a statement. Um, but it was a perfect way to end the outest world cup ever. <laughs> and um, one that brought equality to the forefront on a number of different levels, both in terms of the um, pay equity. And then also just in terms of, um, of um, same sex relationships. So, Kelly, welcome to, I'm sure this, you'll count this as like just as major of a victory as your World Cup win, your induction to the Hot Dog Hall of Fame. Congratulations. Welcome. I would like to nominate Phoebe Waller-Bridge for the Feminist Hot Dog Hall of Fame. Love her. Yeah. And so she's the creator of Fleabag. And I just found out when I was doing research on her that she also did um, help write the Killing Eve series. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. It's based on like a short, like series of books like short stories that this person wrote and I forgot what their name was I didn't write it down because it was not that's not the lady I was nominating but um anyways she did the screen like the screenwriting for it so I thought that was really cool but um I picked her because I just feel like a lot of times when you're presented a woman in any kind of um like media setting it's always either like they're never like fleabag (laughs) no (laughs) like ever and like I think a lot of women, and I'll include myself in that, like, I think a lot of us are, like, have, we're, like, deeply flawed in ways that, like, we don't necessarily want the whole world to see, but she shows that, and, like, Phoebe, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, she also, like, a lot of the stuff that she writes from what I was reading is based off of her life experiences, mm-hmm. and she's hilarious, like, she does a really good job of taking, like, super dark things and making them really funny, and I just, like, really appreciate the... I appreciate that she's able to show super flawed characters and she's been given the platform to to do that because, like, even with Killing Eve, like, she shows the duality of, like, women's, like, personalities and women's, like, yeah, their personalities and how they interact. Like, you can be a woman and you can be, not that I'm promoting violence, but you can be a woman and you can be violent. You can be a woman and be, like, inquisitive and, like, all these things. And, yeah, I'm deviating from my paper, so I'm getting off topic oh that's fine yeah I think I just think accepting the flaws that and the way she presents them and knowing yourself is like a truly feminist quality and I think that when Phoebe writes she knows she knows that and she accepts herself and so that makes her work really speak to me and um yeah I wrote down too that like she has a dark humor that openly addresses women's sexuality and I think that's something that's not addressed at all. And it's like, especially like in the South, it's something that's very like, you don't talk about sexuality. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You just keep it under the rug or under the blanket in your bed and you don't talk about it with anybody. But um, I appreciate that she's open about, you know, not having like one sexual partner and like things like that, I think is cool. Yeah. And in terms of the duality that I was talking about, she says you go out into the world with this sense of like, I'm totally fine. I'm totally in control of all this. And then underneath it all or underneath 
And then underneath of it, you're like, oh my God, what's going on? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm really sweaty. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I feel like a lot of the stuff that like the Fleabag character and just the whole, like the insecurities, but like trying to hide them. And then also the, she always talks about small boobs in that, in the series. And I'm just like, yes, (laughs) (laughs) I understand exactly what you're saying. And then like addressing to like the, like idea that you're worthless like after you get old and like after you get like wrinkles and stuff because there's one episode of that where she's just like crying in a corner and she's like I'm really scared that when I lose my looks that like there's gonna be nothing left Mm. and like the character is a little bit she's she's sad like her best friend died because of her hopefully spoilers but um anyways so I thought that was cool and just some back information on her she was born I don't know if you want her like date of birth or whatever yeah bring it she was born July 14th, 1985 in London, and she studied at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. And um, She teamed up with Vicki Jones to form a theater company called Dry Write, and she has aspirations to write and direct a film. Um, she's always looking to defy expectations, and I think she does just that, and that's another thing that made me want to induct her into the Hall of Fame. Um, and she also said, like, misogyny in- invigorates her and makes her want to... Re- retaliate artistically which I think is another cool idea like instead of instead of like getting upset about someone being a misogynist you just like you take it and use them in your artwork exactly Mm -hmm. and you're like you're using them and that is just so lovely um and she also loves that she said she loves to write moments where women get smacked in the face by the contradictions of feminism and, um, yeah, that was where I commented, like, always talking about small boobs. Because in the show, she's always talking about things that are, uh, like, her body and, like, her body image and things like that. And so I think that is a way of, like, smacking someone in the face with feminism where you just present it. You're like, yes, we know we're not supposed to think these things. Or, like, we know that it's, like, not healthy to think these things and it's, like, the opposite of feminism. But everybody does it. Like, mm-hmm. you're always, like, you get in your head and you start thinking about that stuff. So I nominated her, even though she's, I think, technically kind of like a bad feminist. But, like, being <laughs> a bad feminist is fun. <laughs> well, and she's very real. Yeah. And I keep talking about the Fleabag character. But, like I said, from what I could tell and from what I read, a lot of her characters and a lot of the stories she tells in her book are very much um pretty closely intertwined with who she is as a person Mm -hmm. and I just love a woman that's like funny like she's she's so funny yeah well and I one of the things I love about that show too is how she breaks the is it called breaking the fourth wall all the time yeah so her um relationship with you I mean she's like making eye contact with you the viewer Mm -hmm. the whole time which is I mean, I think that there have been other shows that have sort of played around with that, but this is to a degree that I've not seen before. Yeah. And I think is is really interesting because it is kind of this like I know that what I'm saying is or doing is really fucked up right now, but like I'm gonna do it anyway, you know? <laughs> like, that's, yeah. her, that's her whole MO and you're kind of in on it. Yeah. Well Fleabag it wouldn't be Fleabag if it didn't break the fourth wall. Like if it was just her doing this stuff, like it wouldn't be good because mm-hmm. you you wouldn't have no insight into it. And because you have that insight, it's just like, this is like comedy gold yeah. and also maybe my life. Well, I love it. Welcome, Phoebe. We we embrace you in the Hall of Fame in all your imperfections. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Well, thank you, Allison. Thank you so much for being on the show. I have really enjoyed our conversation and um, hope that we give our listeners some incentive to come visit us down here in the South. Yes. Not just for the fried chicken, but there's, you know, there's progressive politics down here too. And um, subversive art happening, yeah. right? Happening right here in this room. Relax and be very slow and like just like move slowly. That's one of the best things about being oh, Southern. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be in a hurry when you get here. <laughs> Um, so our theme music is by Ava Luna and Loyalty Freak Music, and our sound is by Square Lightning Design. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and if you like independent feminist media, support the show on Patreon. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks, Allison, again for being here, and all of you out there, don't forget, love yourself and love your buns. Goodbye. This has been a production of NOCO-FM.